0: Welcome to the C3V podcast. These messages are very important messages in my view in the last couple of weeks from my end. I mean, Glenn has been stunning and uh, as important as anything I'm saying, but in terms of, and I mean that genuinely, but in terms of where I'm going and the preaching, um, really uh, I'm, I'm laying ground for what I believe is... Um, the journey of the Lord forward as a church. Um, So uh, I'm really saying listen up and asking you to hear with both sets of ears. You know, you've got four ears, don't you? And (laughs) uh, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And uh, to know that God is speaking and guiding and leading us uh, is really important. Uh, So um, I'm, I'm including you in my own personal journey in the word in this time and as you can imagine it's been a very challenging time for us uh personally and in this season um, of of, uh, rebuild and uh, all that we're facing in the shift that's going to come in the church uh because of the building and so on uh there's a lot happening and and uh you know when all these things happen unexpectedly and so on um you know i go i go to the word i'm so glad I'm so glad for the emphasis the Lord put in my spirit for the summer in the Lord's prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I haven't waned from that whatsoever. I go for my run up the hill uh, sometimes in the morning, once every day. um, And uh, when I do, I'm uttering and praying the Lord's prayer most times. So uh, that's the deal. So in this this preaching, I'm um, including you in the journey of the word. The battle is real, people. you might see on my Facebook nothing to do with church or what we're going through, but uh, I watched a, a very important rugby match for a New Zealanders uh <laughs> who are just... There's nothing more important to a New Zealander than rugby, and when you're a Christian, it's quite a compromise. So, um, either which way, you know. <laughs> so, but uh, I put something on my Facebook today, um, and I just wrote, the battle is real because of this particular tackle on the opponent that he was coming like a steam train, this enormous guy. And, uh, you know, we're, we're up against <coughs> things right now. Um, we're fighting for our future. And when I say that, um, I want to be I wanna be little Churchillian, you know. We're fighting for our future, but we will win. We will win. There is not a sense in me that it's, it's, we're losing the battle. There's a sense that we're in a battle, that we must fight together in the purposes of God, a spiritual warfare, and we will win. But the battle is real, and we're fighting for our future in the church, this church, fighting for the future of the church. And the Word of God is our sword and our one offensive weapon. So if you know this text, we'll turn it up a little bit further on in the message uh, in um, ephesians 6 but you know the word about the the armor of the lord um, uh, putting on god's complete armor well uh, the only weapon in the uh, passage is the sword of the spirit which is the word of God and so uh, the word is our sword it's our offensive weapon i i just have leaned heavily and deeply into the word I get up early and search and seek and pray and hold on to the word and not only the word that comes like a quickened word, but the word of what the word says itself because that governs the quickened word. If you, get, if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about, but it's not just getting strange little phrases out of a text to make them mean something. It's finding them in the context and knowing that God is substantiating himself through his word to us. So I've taken you on a journey in that uh, with us and um, I hope you like the picture that's up there behind me. Uh, it's a sort of a, a faux oil painting, and in the background is actually Patty standing on her native on her native ground in New Zealand at a place called Pungaru and uh, that is her uh, her forebear's uh, uh, graves all around her. She's walking amongst her ancestors. The one with the little gold fleck in it, and, and there you can see, uh, has an s- inscription over it, Mother of the Nation, and uh, Patty's auntie, Dame Finne uh was a, um, a major... Uh, Maori uh, land rights leader in our generation, in our time. And so it's a fairly important place in uh, Maori culture to visit your ancestors. You're not worshipping them, but you're going and and paying respect. It was a very awesome moment for us uh, when we did that on that that occasion. So that's what that's about. But the picture's got more than that for us today. Um, I'd like us to go to Isaiah 26. Now, again, you you, you may not be used to bringing a Bible to the church. That's a whole generational problem, a generational sin. That my generation never had, and the generation before me certainly didn't have. Uh, They carried big black Bibles. At least our generation, my generation, learned to carry camouflage versions, you know, and they had different names like The Way written on the cover and that sort of a thing. But when my father marched us off to Sunday school, he had this massive big black Bible under his arm, a Thompson chain, and it had written on it in gold letter, The Holy Bible, you know. But I would really encourage you to be, if if you're not a Bible-carrying Christian, to have a Bible instant access on your phone and uh, iPads and whatever, and uh, come with me in the Scripture. I'm going to read Isaiah 26. This is the passage that has most spoken to me in this season as we've gone into battle. So I want to draw more thoughts out of it yet. And uh, let me take you there. So, Isaiah 26, and I'm just reading verses 1 to 19. It's a wonderful chapter. runs into the next chapter to get the complete story, but for time, I'm just going to go to verse 19. In that day, this song shall be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city, God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation, which keeps the truth, may enter in. You will keep them in perfect shalom peace, well-being. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For in Yah, that is Jehovah, for in the in Yah, the Lord is everlasting strength. For he brings down those who dwell on high, the lofty city. He lays it low. He lays it low to the ground. He brings it down to the dust. The foot shall tread it down. The feet of the poor and the steps of the needy. The way of the just is uprightness. O Lord, we have waited for you. Did I jump jump up there? The way of the uh, just is upright, uh, almost upright. You weigh the paths of the just. Yes, the way of your judgments, O Lord, we have waited for you. The desire of our soul is for your name and for the remembrance of you. With my soul, I've desired you in the night. I know what this means, I tell you. With my soul, I've desired you in the night. Yes, by my spirit within me, I will seek you early. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. Let grace be shown to the wicked, yet he will not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he will deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. Lord, when your hand is lifted up, they will not see, but they will see and be ashamed for the envy of people. Yes, the fire of your enemies shall devour them. Lord, you will establish peace for us, for you have also done all our works in us. What an amazing verse. O oh Lord, you are our God. Masters, um, masters beside you have had dominion over us, but by you only we make mention of your name. They are dead, they will not live. They are deceased, they will not die. Therefore, you have punished and destroyed them and made all their memory to perish. You have increased the nation, O Lord. You have increased the nation. You are glorified. You have expanded all the borders of the land. Lord, in trouble, they have visited you. They poured out a prayer when your chastening was upon them. As a woman with child is in pain and cries out in her pangs, which she draws near the time of her delivery. So have we been in your sight, O Lord. We've been with child, we've been in pain. We have, as it were, brought forth wind. We've not accomplished any salvation, deliverance in the earth, nor have the inhabitants of the world fallen. Your dead shall live. Together with my dead body they shall arise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in the dust. For your dew is like the dew of the herbs; the earth shall cast out the dead. I've got to res- kind of emphasize verse nineteen for us again as we're talking here. You know, it says, "Together with my dead body, they shall arise." That's a curious rendition. That's very word for word in, in the King James version, New King James version, very word for word with the Hebrew. It's a. It's a kind of got intonations that somebody is rising from the dead and so are we with him. And uh, you get that straight away if you're a Christian, right? Um, and and that, that verse is so key to all the rest of the text that we'll, we'll make some big points about that as we started to uh, last week. In that in that chapter, as we read through, we get this juxtaposition and it is hard to follow for a fairly novice reader to know how that all feet put, uh, fits together how it flows together but in that it it goes between God's blessing and God's support for a people and God's judgment on a people God's dealing put it that way with a people it goes with God's disciplining as well as God's uh, incredible blessing and elevating and the great promises that come with that for a people and so there's this there's this Going backwards and forwards as it wanders, as you wander through it. And then there's the prophet himself saying, You know, I've been up all night groaning about these things. Um, And so we can identify on all sorts of levels in this uh, particular prophecy. But I'm not here to do an exposition of the prophecy. I want to speak more out of how it's been speaking to us in our journey. I want to recap very quickly over last week's message. Um, I called it. Resurrection expectation built there on, particularly on verse 19. And, I, I, and that's that last verse we read about. Together with my dead body they shall arise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in the dust. Yours is, the, the rendition we led, read last week, yours is uh, with the dew of the morning, you know. And I have a picture of George, my friend, sitting on his post as the sun came up uh, last week for you. But but uh, this this is... This is the key verse to getting what's going on in the whole of the text because the, the great good news at the beginning of, of, of God speaking to the city with blessing and then talking about being in perfect peace, uh, it really comes back to this particular verse, really, uh, that gives hope to the whole thing. And I called it a resurrection um, imagination or resurrection expectation. And I made this point last week. Resurrection empowers our present when it permeates our imagination. When we, when we get a mindset that you can't keep Jesus down uh, and therefore you don't have to live in the defeat of what times are bringing, what things circumstances are, are foisting on you, you live in the life that you have in Christ and resurrection empowers our present when it permeates our imagination. You get up and get going, not out of sheer grit, but out of the rising again of His Spirit in you to help you through that disappointment or that time of challenge. I wonder how many of you are facing those moments in this particular period of time, not just because of COVID maybe, but through all other uh, situations in your own life where you've been walking through loss, through uh, wondering how you're know you ever going to come back through it, let me tell you again, resurrection empowers your present when it permeates your imagination. We've got to get this. We've got to get this word into us. We've got to see that together with him we rise again. And we'll touch on this uh, right now. In the middle of our anxieties, one of the Psalms says, in the multitude of my anxieties, uh, just when you think it's over, the Lord begins to speak to me. And this holds very true. John 11, uh, 23 to 25 and Verse 25, particularly, Jesus is in the home of um, Lazarus and uh, Martha, but uh, Martha and Mary. But Lazarus has died, of course, if you know the story in John 11. And um, and Jesus said, don't worry, your brother will rise again. Now, they were of the particular Jewish persuasion that there is a resurrection at the end of time, which is actually a biblical uh, persuasion. But Martha says, I know that he'll be raised up in the resurrection at the end of time. Now, I'm reading from the Message Version, which captures this so well. But Jesus said to her, you don't have to wait to the end. I'm the resurrection now. I now am resurrection and life. He's saying, trade on this. You know, and that was before the cross and before his resurrection. Trade on this truth. I am resurrection and life. After the cross, when he proves that he had done it and can do it, he's saying to us, trade on this. Romans 8, verse 15 in the message is a bit of a precy of, of a number of verses um, in that chapter. But it says this: Romans 8, verse 15 in the message I said, I meant to say is a praise. It's this. This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave tending life, it's adventurously expectant, greeting God with a childlike, What's next, Papa? You just get battered by the storm, beaten by what's going on, everything collapsing around. I'm thinking of the poor folks in Newfoundland and, uh, uh, you know, Prince Edward Island right now. You get knocked around every which way, and and, and yet because of this indomitable spirit that's in us, you come up and you you rise again. You rise again. You just keep coming up. I was there in Fukushima uh, straight after the great earthquake and tidal wave that took out the power, the uh, nuclear power station. And the guys that I was with, he said, you know, 200 years of Christianity is buried under the rubble as I walked through it. 200 years of Christian endeavor wiped off the planet. Churches that took so long to establish. But I I looked at him and he had a gleam in his eye. But we remain. (laughs) We remain. (laughs) You know, Uh, I, I ended up on a beach with him where there was a civic ceremony giving uh, in the Shinto religion, placating the spirits of the dead, and uh, he was invited. The pastor was invited because he had led the um, uh, the uh, welfare. The, the United Nations had contacted him and given him all their foodstuffs and stuff to distribute in the region because he was the only reliable guy left with an organization in the whole of that Fukushima area where he was and he got invited to the ceremony so he says come on Fletch we've got to go to a Shinto thing down on the beach when we went down there uh, a big long story short uh, a wave came in and washed over the Shinto shrine they had set over and it collapsed into the surf and They receded back all the bits and pieces, their incense burners and whatever, and these people who had been beating drums, all that sort of gradually vacated behind a priest as they left the beach. Left standing was my pastor friend, me a few steps behind because I'm just a visitor, and the press. And then the local prefect, uh, which would be like governor, standing there on the stage. And I thought, this is where it works. This is where it works. Our God's not offended, but he's still here. And that church still exists. It still functions. And still, out from that, more comes. You see, Jesus rises again in every sad and bad circumstances. And this is what's happened here for us, I believe, that, that, that we need to catch, catch hold of. But listen to this Romans 8 15. The resurrection life you have received from God is not timid. Get that? A resurrection imagination is not tenuous, not timid, but it's tenacious. Look at that. It's, I, I love the way this version puts it. It's adventurously expectant. So not tenuous. <laughs> but tenacious. We're going to get through this. We're going to go forward here. We're not, we're not given up here. See? Not tenuous, not tenacious, but it's more than that because it says in the text... I love it, the way it ends there. Greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? Like, like what? How audacious is that? That's the thing about a kid. Right out of context, he asks a dumb question. And sometimes the dumb question is actually the right question. And here we've got in this whole text that we're looking at, not tenuous, but tenacious and very audacious. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. What's next, Papa? I almost can't wait for the next couple of weeks because I'm going to start unfolding what I think is next. They'll keep you coming to church. And if you're online, you'll want to be here. Just saying. So I want to say emphatically to us here today, it's the spirit of resurrection, not the spirit of intimidation who resides within us. Well, I love the songs you were singing, and that last song just just does it for me all over again. You'll see how relevant that is when we talk about the dry bones in a second, but. But I love this because, while, and it just came to me while we we're singing, while ever there's a group of people bonded together in Christ who are believing that they are brought together for the grace of God to touch a city, to, to speak the word, to reach out and serve, even if like in the text we just read that we've brought forth wind to date, you know, even if, even if we haven't accomplished any deliverance, even if salvations have been low in the last period of time, that's not over till it's over, Red Rover, and it ain't over. Because the very next verse says, your dead shall live together with my dead body they shall arise. And I love that song because while ever there's a people that feel the call, the urgency of the gospel and the love for a city, Jesus says, hey, I'm there. Hey, I'm there. He doesn't write a death certificate for the church. He doesn't do it. He loves his church. There's some strange prophetic nonsense out there that touches the church with judgmental words. All i got to say is don't touch the church. It's loaded. You might have heard me say that before. And I'm talking about this church. I'm talking about the church generally. i got I got people preaching dumb stuff, silly stuff, stuff that makes my hair stand on end. But you know what? It's Jesus' church. I've got to love them and I've got to love the church. And I don't want to set myself up to attack that. And I'm encouraging you. Let's not be the same. But let... Let's understand there it's the spirit of resurrection that's in the church. It can, it can be the spirit of correction too. You know? It can fix us up. We were wrong. But it's not a spirit of intimidation. 2 Timothy 1 verse 77, okay. sorry, not 77, verse 7, says this, amplified version. God did not, you know this, but listen to the amplified version. I love it because in actual fact it's bringing out the true Nuances of the word, which in different translations it opts for either one of these three, but it says this God did not give us a spirit of timidity, cowardice. You know what cowardice is? It's when you cower away. It's not, not given us a spirit of timidity, cowardice, or fear, but He's given us a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Not a spirit of timidity, not tenuous. Romans eight verse eleven, which we've kind of referred to, but in the in the word for word, but in the Amplified, a little bit further up the text, it says this: The Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. He who raised Jesus from the dead. I mean, don't get excited, but you are a resurrection waiting to happen. Now, look, that's going to be proved at the end of time. But you've got lots of times between now and the end of time to prove that you have the indomitable spirit within you. The spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in you and in me. It's in his church. And this is why we come out with this audacity that against the flow of circumstantial issues, we go, what's next, Papa? But not like, well, what's next? Are you going to slap me around the room one more time while I fall over and fall down the stairs as I go out of church? No way. We sing these songs because we're prophesying to the circumstance. So my title today, you're going to love this, but my total today, coming out of that text where we read, I'm just going to read it again because I thought it was so good. Romans 8.15 in the Message Version. The resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. Life, it's adventurously expectant, that's tenacious, greeting God with a child like, what's next, Papa? It's not, get my text now, get my title now, no more grave tending. Get this, that's my title. You go out this door today, get this on you, get it on you about your circumstance. You know, you lost your cat. Dog bit the neighbour. You got fined. You know, your car got stolen. Got broken into. This happened. Lost my job. You know, you know, you know all that work you put into it. Listen, listen you're going to rise again. You've got an indomitable spirit. First of all, you've got to conquer some things in the inside of you. But that's what, we'll touch, what we're about to touch on. Because in my subject is the battle for the mind. The battle for the mind. You'll see it as a subtext up there. But no more grave tending. <laughs> Not timid, adventurously expected, childlike, saying, what's next? Oh, God. Not tenuous, but tenacious, and pretty audacious as it stands. Now, let's look at that Bible illustration of the valley of dry bones. Ezekiel 37, verse 3. I'm reading from a very interesting little version here called the Voice Bible. What the Voice Bible does is it takes all the conversations of Scripture and turns them into conversations. So it's not sort of like a record about a conversation. So it's almost like reading a play, a film script or something like that uh, with various characters and players uh, identified. And then the Voice Bible in Ezekiel 37 and verse 3 is the story, of course, where Ezekiel is told and commanded to prophesy to the dry bones. We were singing that in two of our songs here this morning. And I'm, I'm going through the roof because I'm thinking, God, you're just saying it from every angle to me right now. That's why I get excited. And that's why you're past pastor's a nutcase in the corner here, you know. And he can't help it. He, the, 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 when I think the word of the Lord's breaking through on me, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm slightly out of my tree because I love the fact that God speaks, encourages, and, and keeps coming. But Ezekiel 37, verse 3, says, says, The Lord asked the prophet... Do you think these bones shall live? This is Voice Bible. Do you think these bones (laughs) shall live? Now, just consider who's asking here. You've got to kind of, you know, accept that Ezekiel is what you call a major prophet. There's only about two of them, maybe three. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and perhaps Daniel, but Daniel sort of. Goes into the minor prophets, but he's major. That's what I'm trying to say. He he's got a big in with God. You know, he, he's massive. <laughs> His prophecies are long. Um, he he knows God, so now God's talking to him. <laughs> so, just just consider who's talking here. Consider who's asking, and God says, "Do you think these bones?" shall live. Now look, if it's a rhetorical question, the short answer is you're asking me? Absolutely. I mean do you get that? I mean look who's asking. This isn't an undertaker. This isn't a grave tender. This isn't some sorrowful bereaved relative. Is God do <laughs> you think these bones shall live? what are you thinking on this prophet voice Bible ezekiel's response <laughs> eternal Lord, certainly you know the answer better than I do look, you're staring back into the well so, well certainly you know the answer better than I do. Is that a cop-out? I mean, is it a cop-out? I mean, the God of the universe says, what do you think? And he says, well, you know, it's like he doesn't go, absolutely. He goes, well, um, (laughs) you know, it's like sometimes you have an argument and you Instead of wanting to answer straight out, you ask a question. And the thing just keeps revolving around till you finally have to say what you think. It's not exactly an argument, but it is sort of a cop-out that a prophet who knows God, a major prophet looking into the face of God, who knows already that in his history there was Elijah and Elisha, who under the hand of God had seen people raised from the dead, and it was in their texts and in their history, and God is asking this guy, and he goes, well, you know. <laughs> it's pretty you know. Now, I'm playing on that, I'm sure, but can you see a battle going on in the mind? And I love God's comeback in the voice Bible. So this guy, well, certainly you don't. Look at God. He goes, well, actually, I do. He says, yeah, you, you, I'm pretty certain you don't. Well, actually, I do. Prophesy. <laughs> in the in, in the backwards and forwards here, God just steps right up into his face. And says, well, I do. So I'm going to bring you through this problem you've got because there's a battle for the mind going on in the circumstance. And so God says to him, prophesy. (laughs) You see, the rift between tenuous and tenacious is the battle of the mind. Whenever you're in a difficult circumstance and the challenge, especially one that appears on the natural in what you see and how you feel is dominating your view even of God, you're getting tenuous. You're going, "I, I, 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 I don't know whether we should. And the battle now is in the mind. You don't go, you don't go, God's got this well, he's got this. Some, somebody's going to come past you and say, you know, you're a bit of a deluded loony. You're hanging on to promises like, what? And you're just going, yeah, God's got this. Absolutely. I came to the city in 2020 on a spy-out-the-land trip. Sat down with a local pastor. He said, We invested $20,000 into a church plan. I thought, anyway, he said, $20,000 into a church plan in there, and he failed. And he said, This, he said, Don't go there, it's a graveyard. So, I just read an article about churches that leave the city because they, 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 they fail. The city's had a bad record. It's like the spring that Elijah had to throw salt into. And they were retreating out to the valley. And he says, so, you know, we tried $20,000. It's a graveyard. But his little wife sitting next to him said, yeah, it's a graveyard. And all through this lunch, she just echoed, it's a graveyard, Graham. Don't do it. Well, now I felt like that silly kid going, God could do this. Now I felt like that foolish little person who gets from the tenuous to the tenacious, and it, was, it wasn't turning me off, it was getting me more excited. I thought, wow, you know, hey, hey, you know, God, you know, he raises things from the dead. If it's a graveyard, we're in for a good one, you know, until you hit your own battles and own storms. The battle is in the mind, people. The battle is for the mind. And the rift is between the tenuous and the tenacious. I'm talking spiritually, if you get what I'm saying. But the shift came in Ezekiel. What made him audacious was when God said, Prophesy. Speak to this. Prophesy. Whew. And we say it in the song. If you follow the text, and so there came a rattling. There's often a rattling when you start to prophesy a future that doesn't look like it's going to happen. There's a lot of rattlings of different kinds. But there came a rattling. Things began to but eventually it all came together. My big word for you today and for us today, whatever you face, whatever the disappointment, whatever's collapsed in front of you, whatever you stepped out on and went into, whatever you've been taken down a path in that journey of that very prophecy in um, Isaiah 26, you know, where you start to walk through the other stuff, Oh my goodness, I want to tell you this morning, give up on grave tending. Prophesy. Speak life, not death. In spiritual warfare, that's what we're doing. We're speaking to the shift that God has on us. We're refusing conclusions, and we're making apt confessions. With where God is going. I've got to tell you, just if I can say it again, conclusions and confessions are the issue of spiritual warfare. It's not the struggles, the things that go on in your mind, you're lying, going, oh, how are we going to do that? How are we going to afford this? How are we going what are we going to, we won't have a building? What are we going to do? Where are we going to meet? You know, are they going to come back? Are they going to come back? What are we going to do? All night. That's not spiritual warfare. That's, that's just your mind going bananas over a problem. And most of us don't want to get out of bed the next morning. The big problem is we come to conclusions. You can have your struggles, but the shift that God wants to bring is in our conclusions and then to match His conclusion with our confession of it, to speak life, not death. That's what spiritual warfare is really all about. Look, I've just got to quickly uh, move, but in, in Isaiah 26, our key chapter that we've been reading. It's really the tale of two cities. You know what I said about the juxtapositioning of judgment and blessing all through that that chapter. It's the tale of two cities. You'll see a picture up there. It's really, see that picture window over there? That's it. It's the oil painting of that. And um, what you can see out over there uh, sat before us, our church, the whole time in view of the city with the city in view on that particular pane. And um, in this... Uh, tale of two cities where it's talking about two cities and that's what you've got to get worked at. It's not like God blesses a city and then pulls it down to dust and it gets trampled. There's two cities in the text. That's what's going on here. You get that very well when you read chapter 25 and chapter 26 together. Now in chapter 25 and chapter 26 they open in the first two verses in quite a similar fashion but end up quite differently. Look at the the similarities and the distinct differences. In uh, chapter 25 verses 1 and 2 it says, God you are my God. I celebrate you, I praise you. Uh, you've done your share of miracle wonders and thought-out plans, solid and sure. Here, you've reduced the city to rubble and strong city to a pile of stones. The enemy, big city, is a non-city, never to be a city again. Reading from the Message Version, of course, chapter twenty-five, one and two. They're speaking there, first of all, of the people of God being in blessing, but they're in a city that's being destroyed. By God's hand, a city under judgment. It was Babylon, the city of Babylon, if you want to get the historical context here. And then in chapter 26, it goes this, verses 1 and 2. At that time, look at the similarities. At that time, this song shall be sung. So celebration, song. This song shall be sung uh, in the country of Judah. We have a strong city. Talked about in the other one, that strong city has become a non-city. But we have a strong city, and look at the difference. Salvation city. Woo-woo. Built and fortified with salvation. Throw wide the gates, so good and true people. The lot of translations say, so the faithful can enter. You see, the scenario is between Babylon, which is confusion. That's what Babylon means. And spiritual Jerusalem, which is shalom, Jerusalem, peace, the city of peace. One of the commentators, John Oswald, uh, says this, the city is a state of mind more than a geographical place. I'm telling you that, people. A state of mind more than a geographical place. In this text, it's talking about What goes on in the mind? The battle is in the mind. The battle is for the mind. And it's the resurrection imagination of verse 19 that's the key to the shalom of the city that comes up. Verse 3 says, You will keep him in shalom whose mind is stayed on you. When you know down in verse 19 that together with him we shall rise again. When you're trading on resurrection, you can say in the face of what falls in Babylon to Jerusalem, keep us in perfect peace, whose imagination, whose mind is stayed upon you. You see, in spiritual warfare, confusion and peace, shalom, are, are what's at war. And before they are circumstantial, they are spiritual. You can, and and I as Christians with with whom is the indomitable resurrection spirit, because we're steeped in the truth of God rising again and what Jesus will do and can do and wants to do for us as the one that's risen from the dead. Hey, people, because we're steeped in that, we can go, "Whoa, God, I'm telling you, I'm not going to lie down and let this take over. And we go, wow, God, you love this church. You love this place. So whatever the circumstances, that's not going to dictate to the mind. I've got to stop, and I'm going to stop. The rest can come out online. But I I think I've taken you on a journey thus far. That is the challenge and the cry that's in my heart for you and for us as the church that we fight for our future. And we make sure that our conclusions and our confession Align with who's in us. And wherever there's faith in that and faith in Him who has risen from the dead and we're a group of people pulled together by God and His goodness, then and we have a vision for the city, we get past this moment of fight to get on with the vision. And God will take us through and prove, as it says and intimates in Isaiah 26, and prove that His word has never failed. Amen. Would you stand with me? My God, my God, that was good stuff. Thanks for listening to the C3V podcast. To find out more about our church, visit us at c3v.ca.